foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. The Katie Says Podcast, where movement geek Danny Hennett joins biomechanist Katie Bowman, author of Move Your DNA, for discussions on body mechanics, movement nutrition, natural movement, and how movement can be the solution to modern ailments we all experience. And today on Katie Says, we witness the birth of the baby episode. But it's not just a singlet. No, no, we're expecting twins. Because there are so many baby questions that we get, and there's so many threads to follow, that I thought we should be like wise King Solomon and cut this baby in half. So we are going to have two baby shows, for starters. During this first episode, we'll discuss how the baby biomechanics of load and frequency affect the stages of development, like how babies from more primitive hunter-gatherer type populations develop differently than our modern lifestyle babies. And we'll touch on baby wearing, which is very exciting, and carrying, and how this affects both the parent and the baby. I'm also hoping, against hope, that we'll get through some baby strength, like core and neck strength, but who knows? Depends how fast, we'll it, see where it, yeah, goes. How fast it develops. Yeah. And then oh, next episode, which you'll you'll get later, we'll venture hopefully into the categories of breastfeeding and the positions and maybe some talk about upper body and arm strength development babies, as well as some hanging. And walking. Oh, Gosh, walking, so many questions. Walking reflexes. There's, see, we could just, we could, we could yeah. cut the baby into many parts, but let's just start with two. Okay, you have to stop I'm that. I'm sorry. You is need that, to knock that, that off. Grim? I don't know what grim means, really, just, besides like dark and yes, creepy, but yes. Is that what it means? Yes. Hey, I can say uh, whatever I yeah. want because I was a baby one. I, I, That's I true. I can say what I want. It's like I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. 
Okay, well, so we are, we are trying to figure out how best to get into the show. And for some reason, I find that I can talk and talk and talk, and they do, but <laughs> nice summations come in from other people asking a question or sharing an experience. They're, they're, they're such, I think they're more much more rich. And so there was this Facebook post that a woman sent regarding baby wearing and baby carrying. And would you, I think if you could read that to open the show, that that would just set the right tone. I would be happy to. Okay. Okay, go for it. And I did not, I didn't get her name, but we'll just, she, she writes, I have a sling, which I used a lot with my first child, but after living on your blog for the last couple years, I didn't know we could do that. I'm really motivated to hold this one more. I just keep reminding myself to untuck my pelvis, drop my ribs, feet forward, etc. about 7 million times a day. What I've noticed is that my pelvic floor is happiest when I'm holding baby and saddest when I'm wearing her. Interesting. Girl is nine weeks now and has gone from six pounds even at birth to 11 pounds just before Christmas. So my arms feel like they're struggling to keep up, but I'm doing it. Wow. Yeah, it was a good... Like, I don't think I could have framed a question as well. And when I posted, I she sent a picture, right? So she had her yes. post. And she had a picture, which was darling. Mm-hmm. But I, put, I posted my comments on top of it because this is a question I get a lot, certainly about pelvic floor and diastasis recti and carrying and holding and how are they different or whatnot. So here's the... This is the comment that I wrote, my commentary above hers, so I will read it and then we can spend the rest of the show clarifying it and getting into it a little bit. The work necessary to carry a baby in your arms is different than the work necessary to carry a baby that is strapped on in the former, which is in your arms. Your posture constantly varies. Working muscles constantly vary and the way your core muscles fire to cope with this variance in posture is ever-changing. So to pause... It would be really helpful to go back and listen to, I believe, our first show on diastasis recti, where we talk about the core Mm -hmm. as having many possible shapes, meaning that you're not always using your core evenly all of the time. The the net work of the core is really just different muscles contracting in different ways. And all of those change depending on what you're doing with the rest of your body. So as you change... Go ahead. Well, no, and core strength, more strength really illustrates that beautifully in Move Your DNA. Yes. Movie, I mean, we have lots of resources. Yeah. But if you're in a podcast role, that's a good one to listen to next besides the other parts of the baby shows. It's gross. Okay, sorry. <laughs> when you strap something to the main axis of your body. Okay, so now I'm talking about wearing, baby wearing, whether... It's in any sort of device, and a piece of material is considered a device, okay? So when you wear something, you're strapping it to the main axis of your body. The natural response for your core muscles is to develop tension and increase intra-abdominal pressure to stabilize your spine. So one, I'm I'm breaking out of me reading, as we all knew that I would. (laughs) One... There's nothing, it's a completely natural, like bracing, it's called bracing or also called bracing. That tension that develops, that increases your intra-abdominal pressure is a natural bracing response. What's going to be unnatural is the frequency of repetitive positioning, right? The fact Mm -hmm. that you're bracing in exactly the same way for a long period of time. So the bracing is great for your spine and it's 
the word great is really going to apply over a certain period of time. Every, all movements are like dose dependent. So a little bit is great. You can also have too much. You can have too little and too much. But a high frequency of a repetitive tension pattern and this resulting increase in intra-abdominal pressure also means constant downward forces on the pelvic organs and the pelvic floor. So I was trying to give a little explanation of when you're using the main axis of your body to bear weight. Yes, you are using muscles, but you're not changing your geometry. You're essentially strapping something to your body. You know, anyone who puts on a big, this goes for backpacks and everything. When you put it on your body, backpacks are a technology. They're a way of reducing work. And if you want to test that out yourself, take everything that's in your backpack and see how much harder <laughs> it is to carry in a different way than putting it on the easiest part of your body, which was is strapping it to the, the main part of your body. You tend to tense your abdomen, and then here you have this downward pressure. And that's that's fine, but when you couple that with pre-existing pelvic floor weakness or neurological inabilities for whatever reason to respond to the load, diastasis recti, where your core isn't really able to withstand that constant intra-abdominal pressure without other tissues deforming, baby wearing can be, can create kind of a repetitive use injury, which isn't to speak anything really about the benefits to the baby so much as this is just mm -hmm. mechanically what happens when you do it. So she was like, what? She's essentially going like, why is baby carrying easier on my pelvic floor than baby wearing? And this is why. It's because when you strap something on, there's an intra-abdominal increase that's greater than if you just have something in your arm because you're essentially using your biceps and your shoulders to carry on on the main part of your body you're just bracing mm -hmm. and you just you have to shift all the time because you cannot well, carry in the same exactly yeah exactly so if you carry something long enough you don't carry it in a particular way repetitively it's like left arm's tired right arm right arm's mm -hmm. tired left arm oh left arm is tired i'll add the I'll, I'll hold my left wrist with my right hand and then vice versa. And, oh, now you're going to go on my shoulders or, you know, depending on the age of the, the kid. And now I'm going to lean one hip out and put you out, like let the hip hold you for a little bit. So you're the catalyst for variance exists much more readily when you're carrying mm -hmm. than when you're wearing. When you're wearing, you will just use one single strength. And when you use one single thing over and over and over again, it's kind of what leads to a repetitive use injury, essentially. That just brings the frequency. <laughs> in it. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Cool. In your... No. What, no. what would you do if I said no? I'm sorry. You're going to have to pick something I would else. Just, I would just bully on past you. i just like right, run okay. like a football player with one arm straight out in front of me and just be like, we're talking about frequency. <laughs> It's a question blitz. All right, go <laughs> it's for important. it. important. I just finished watching the Paleo Parenting course, which is awesome. It's like an hour and then some extras worth of just so much information. But all that information really, it brought forth a lot more questions. These are things I wish that I had been able to ask you 12 or 13 years ago, but I'm going to ask you now <laughs> because I'm very curious. Just say I've got a baby. What's the difference for that baby's development if I'm holding it in my arms? all the time and going throughout my day or having her strapped into like a Moby wrap while I do my stuff. What's, what's going to be the difference there? So let's compare that minute by minute. Okay. So it would, that's the easiest way to kind of grasp the mechanical difference. So there's, there's position, position 
is going to affect your relationship with gravity and thus change the loads experience. We're just going to talk about the baby right now, but you can really apply all these same things to the person facilitating the loads, right? So it's not, it's movement ecology. This is going to come up again because I can't really even talk about all this stuff, especially parenting and infant development without referring back to this larger idea of movement ecology, that there's multiple benefits going on. So spoiler if, (laughs) if you are, Holding a baby, let's say that the baby's position is vertical, you know, as, as vertical as an infant can be, head up, over shoulders, over hips, you're supporting the bottom. And I believe in that course, was there video of me walking my daughter yes. when she was a couple days old? Yeah, maybe just like, like three days old. Yeah. That's crazy. And she could already hold her own head up. So her muscle responds. And again, this is the difference between exercise and and movement. And I will answer the question that you asked, but you have to remember that muscle is reflexive. We have kind of flipped it all around as something that we control because it's somatic, so I can push it and shape it the way that I want it. But it is always reflexive. The reason it shapes to you lifting the, you know, the kettlebell is because it has to generate force to execute the motion that you required of it, requested of it, and thus it conforms to your wish, but you didn't actually have to say, you know, sarcomeres overlap like this. All you have to say is, I want to pick that up, right. you know, so you're, you're controlling it to a certain extent, but the, but the details is left over to the little people, which are the sarcomeres that make up your muscle. So it's that same thing. So with my children and in this video of my daughter, you know, she was on a walk with me. I mean, I was walking, you know, I'm not going out and stomping around, but I was taking very slow, short walks, fresh air, movement for me, and I was carrying her while I did it. She wasn't strapped on. She wasn't in any sort of device. She was just in my arms. So I was supporting her and supporting the back of her head, but a little bit, I mean, enough to keep her head from falling over, but I was facilitating you know, as she's moving, she was like, oh, so this is, this is kind of how your muscles, your muscles are going, oh, here's the weight of the head respond Mm -hmm. and how, and their response is to strengthen. That is their response. If those muscles do not feel the weight of the head, then they will not respond or they respond to the weight of the head being zero, which is to stay at the strength capable of carrying a zero pound head. I'm writing this book, Movement Matters on Movement Ecology that I'm writing. There's a huge section on on movement ecology, but specifically all falling under this umbrella of we live in a sedentary culture and our entire mindset is sedentary. So there's this don't facilitate children's develop physical development. We're rushing them. They should hit these natural milestones. And I might have talked about this before on the show, but I don't agree fully with that perspective. I mean, there's certainly arenas in which I would but you are always facilitating development mm-hmm. and you having a couch and putting your kid in school and putting them in shoes. These are sedentary facilitations that we don't recognize because everyone culturally does them. So when you do something like facilitate movement, it seems huge and potentially egregious for, for doing it. You know, it's like, it's too much. Right. And like, these children are, their bones will collapse. I'm like, that's because you facilitated 23 hours of sedentary behavior. Mm-hmm. So So I don't pick up my daughter, you know, on day one and her head flops off to the side and then take her on a walk and then be like, strengthen your head. No, I am doing, you know, what a natural primate does, which is get my child from point A to point B 
not having anything but the things that I have on my body. And by doing so, her ability to hold up her own head developed extremely quickly. Right. And your child is not like a super baby. This is just no, natural. this is not a, this, this is not about this, no. Yeah, this is just right. normal because you did that. That's what happened. That was the response. Yes. I'm not interested in having super children. Like having right. super children is not my is not my intent. We I'm just trying to really be a, Yes, and I'm really just trying and and also this is a good point perhaps even at the beginning of the show like if you have kids, this is not a judgment about any other way of doing it. This is just this is just an explanation of really loads and frequency and distribution, mm-hmm. how muscle works and and really being aware of the influences of a sedentary culture, you know, also a sedentary culture and, and a particular type of culture that has a single parent responsible for all other children, plus the newborn baby. So like, it's, I'm not suggesting you, you do any of the things that I'm talking about. This is just to inform you kind of of how things work. So I did that just because that's just how we choose to facilitate our lives. I needed to take a walk. I needed to take her out with me. This is how it goes. Anyway, so the result is a very quick ability to hold up their head. Also, now you're holding up your head. Your eyes are, you know, you're awake more. Maybe we'll get into that in a second. Okay, okay. so that's that's enough. We'll set that off to the side. Now let's go to, we have her position as upright, holding up her own head, supported by my hand. So the amount, the duration that she hold, has to hold it up is low because intermittently, She's going to rest her head against my hand, right? But then she'll pick it back up again. You know, just like you learn anything when you're teaching a kid how to ride a bike. You keep your hand there. So they're kind of falling a little bit to the right and to the left. You're not holding it so tight because if they don't ever sense falling to the right, then they will never learn how to correct Correct, a fall to the right, right? So, So essentially, I'm taking my daughter out on a walk on this first week. And multiple times for a short period of time. And I'm essentially doing the same thing that you do when you help your kid ride a bike. You are... You're guiding, but also allowing. I'm not guiding to the point of not letting her muscles respond naturally at a natural frequency and really at a natural time to the loads created by her own body. And she becomes I'm she becomes strong enough to move herself around. So now things like lifting her, like we we, we tend to put kids in these positions where Maybe neck extension, the the I thought of holding up your head it is, I think, in the traditional type literature, you know, it's like, we'll have them work on their neck strength when they're prone, which is face down, like tummy time oh, uh-huh. for holding up their head. I'm like, but that is when they've become extremely heavy. You know, they put on lots of weight sure. pretty quickly. So then you take a much heavier baby that has had, it's a, a lot easier to hold your body vertically, you hold your head vertically and adjust it a little bit than it is to l- extend it up off of the sure. ground and I mean, hold it up. adult can try that, you know, get, do it sitting up and do it lying down. That's trigonometry. Not, That's yeah. trigonometry if you want to do the problem yourself. So it was like, well, instead of, instead of waiting, you know, six months or four months and then giving her a really hard neck holding problem, how about I give her an easy one where she can pick it up real quick and then now she can turn her head. She can she can see what she's interested in. Mm-hmm. If she hears something, she's got the strength and also the ability. So that that's that's in arm. Also of interest. Oh, let's just go. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone for everything. Um, <laughs> when you, if I had her in the same position but tied, she could still have her head up 
and her eyes could still move around, but that would be passive positioning, meaning her body's work has been outsourced to the device. So even though the geometry is a very small picture of movement, we've focused hyper on ergonomics and geometry and very little on uh, kinetics or what's happening within the muscles and the loads that those muscles are are sensing and the way that the cells are being deformed. That's my focus. You can learn more and move your DNA about that. So what is the difference between the two? Active versus passive, more work for the child, benefiting also you, more work for you, or perhaps it's exactly the same amount of work, but that work is being distributed Mm -hmm. more evenly over your body, right? As referring back to that first question. Then there are the issues, though, of like, but what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to keep two arms occupied? And that is a that's a sociologist's question. The biomechanics don't change just because we live in a life where you you know where us as new parents very rarely have any help or have any anyone else besides our nuclear family living in our home. You know, like so. Right, and we've talked about that before. And we've talked about that before. Yes, and so. This is not, again, to say that you do any of these things, only just to start recognizing maybe where the limitations would be if you wanted to try it like that. But anyway, even if you just replace some standing around time. Here's something else, and I wish that I had got video of this. I tried to get it. This was before I had the knowledge of GoPro cams. It would have been perfect. (laughs) When I would walk every day, I don't know, maybe like three miles, carrying my daughter in my arms, which, yes, it's fatiguing, but but whatever. You just rest one arm by going to the other arm. When I was carrying her in arms, so this is always at the same period of the day, not only am I switching her from my right side to my left side, when I switch her from one arm to the other, it's not a baby doll that maintains its same shape. By me switching her from one side to the other, she has mm-hmm. to adjust her musculature to balance. So so the same geometri- geometrical position is not being maintained. Also, when she got a little bit older, she would always want to turn and look forward when she was being held in arms. Uh-huh. If I always carried her on one side, she would always be turned to the one side. Totally. But by me switching her to the other side, now she's rotating her torso to the other side. So it's extremely dynamic. And I don't mean a frozen baby statue and a frozen adult statue. Okay, now who's got changing hands? Now? That's not grim. Frozen baby. I said frozen, not cut into pieces. <laughs> it's, it's creepier. It's creepier. A statue. Well, I mean, I think people just like, they're, like their mind, they're just thinking like rigid body mechanics. Right. You know, they're like, it just goes over here. I'm like, no, the baby, then they rotate their neck in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And we tend to strap strap on devices in the same way that's comfortable for the current shape of our body. And thus... The child, in coping with the repetitive positioning, develops its own repetitive positioning, which is a narrow range of strength, which means a wide range of weakness, very quickly. I mean, this is all happening within the first three to five months when you're extremely malleable and when they're super primed for all-day movement. So I would watch her. like She was just like turning her head from side to side. And then I noticed, because I'm... I I have really the ability, just from observing so much movement and being trained to observe movement, of paying attention to what initiates it. Pretty soon, I realized that she could actually get me to switch arms. Really? By she would turn herself to make it so that I couldn't hold. I mean, uh, you've picked up a kid that doesn't want to be held. Yes, sure. Everyone, raise your pro- hand. It's yeah. It's they go into yes. protest mode. 
Right, but protest mode is if in geometry, it's they're creating a geometry that makes you unable to hold them. Yeah. That's what babies do. Infants are like, I want to go over here. So, you know, we talk about infant-led weaning and infant-led holding. (laughs) They are in control of their body much more, and they can choose to, I'm interested in seeing that or continuing to watch it. And I just, I didn't put a cast on that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's a cast. Yes, it's completely supportive and and you're doing it for lovely, loving reasons. You know, it's not to take away from any of those things. But at the same time, it's nice to recognize the full full list of all the things that it is affecting. And so she would stay awake for that entire three mile walk. Wow. When I started that same walk at the same time in a device, she instantly fell asleep. Really? I just attributed it, frankly, to boredom. She couldn't move to see anything differently. She was given really the same view over and over again. You kind of sense that you can't move, I guess. I mean, you've wow. you've essentially binded just a little bit. And instead of fight, you know, you could say that like, oh, it's cozy or whatever. But what is cozy for me just usually means I got a bunch of heavy blankets on me and it's like forcing me to stay down. So <laughs> she would sleep if I put her in something and not sleep if I didn't put her out. And then I was like, okay, well, then I just started to really think about things like rest, like all of these things, you know, that are cultural norms of what children, what infants, what they need. You know, you go back and look at the sources and like, what are the underlying assumptions kind of for these things? So anyway, that was really big for me. The The same period of walk was extremely dynamic when it was unrestricted and when I made it cozy and, and you know, reduced the ability to move. She would just fall asleep. And I've noticed the same thing kind of with older kids. Like, you you know, if you strap them in to a car seat in a car and go on a long drive, they'd fall asleep at that exact same time where you're not in the car, where they weren't being held in right. a position, they would be running around. Like, it's how you deal with boredom. Sleep is how you deal with boredom, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of cases. I'm just curious, when you when you put her in a device, do, were you just like, oh, I'm going to wear this just for the heck of it? Or were you doing a little experiment? Because you weren't really a device user, right? I wasn't, a, I wasn't a device user. I mean, I didn't have an opposition to devices. At my first baby shower, I was given one of everything. And with my first child, I used, I tried to use a tie-on thing. I used a sling and I had, I had nothing where the legs dangled because I didn't want the pelvic pressure. You know, that's another load. Mm-hmm. And... I use them probably, a t- I mean, less than 15 times total, like less for a total of 15 hours, child. I would say, with the first one. With the second one, it was with a device that my sister had that I was just kind of experimenting okay. with. The first time I ever did it, I had to go, maybe she was like a brand new newborn, and I was like, oh, she'll just sleep and I can just walk her with me. And then I had her in my arms like, well, she's not sleeping when she's in my arm, you know, and then notice it that way. Okay. And I and the video, the GoPro, what I wanted to speed up is you could actually see all this movement rotate. Like I was like, there are 200 torso rotations happening right now. You know, I'm like quantifying everything in my mind just to see really all of the movement that comes from M arm holding. It's not a static baby being held in your arms. And and then to compare it to the exact same baby, same weight. In a device. Well, Nancy, you've just just planted that seed in some listener's head that either has right. has an infant or is going to have sure. one, and and uh, maybe they can send, a GoPro. send that GoPro video into us when you get a an chance. extra time for all those new moms out there with tons of extra time. Strap that camera on your baby's movie. head. 
Yeah, so that's that's the biggest. Um, certainly, there is a. I imagine if you're listening to this and going, oh, like just just pay attention. You know, use your device, but in a different way. You know, like that gives like at least a, a second sure. option, and then don't use it. You don't have to use it all of the time if there's the ability to do in arms or ask other people to hold in arms. I think that's the thing mm-hmm. too is. This is not about how much work one single person can do to facilitate one other person's human development. That development, that input, that environment is really traditionally been many more people. Right. I actually, we had a workshop, a Move Your DNA workshop, and one of the gals had twins, six-month-old twins, which was awesome. And on our walk, she brought them with, and I asked her, can we, you know can we pass your baby babies around just so people can experience what this is like to be, you know, walking with that load of a live squirmy child. And, and it was really fun for everybody. It was really an eye opener for everybody. Well, and that just goes to show you like the fact that there are a ton of humans right now that have never carried a baby. Like that's not how it's been historically that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have been carrying lots of other people's babies for them, you know, from a, from age four or five all the way through, you know, till the rest of your life, that that's not what you would see kind of in the natural world of humans. Yeah. And when you talk about like, that's everything you just talked about with your daughter. And that was essentially all facilitated with you carrying her in arms. And that's a whole lot of strength development reflexes just by that one simple thing. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. It's just, it's very basic and no, simple. It was not easy. No. It's not easy at all. And, you know, and, and, and no, and strollers, like we didn't have, you know, we didn't have really any devices. We've never owned a stroller mm-hmm. or a baby bag for that matter. Maybe that just will lead us to the next question is, which is what are, what are some other ways that <laughs> we can cultivate these kinds of reflexes by creating a different environment? Like what are just, okay, carry more, try that. But what else? Well, it's so many other things, you know, like the grasping reflex. They believe it's, you know, about they call it a vestigial reflex because babies don't have to hold on anymore. But I would beg to differ. I mean, I guess it depends on what the the definition of that is, you know, if you get down to the actual semantics of it. But because I was an in-arm parent, both of us were in-arm parents one, the children had the opportunity to, so the environment was there, but also it was a request of us to, like, you're going to have to hold some of your own weight here. Again, they are not big, inert baby statues. Very early, you know, they have, once once they're putting their arms on you or lift their arms up to be held, there, there's so much cool research, too, on when a baby sees you walking over to come pick them mm-hmm. up, they automatically generate the motion that facilitates, but you're not picking up a dough ball. Right. You know, they <laughs> they are learning to match motions based on you and what you're doing. And and in the course that you took, you know, they, they were like babies that were in, a, what's the difference between a baby being on a person, connected to a person, baby wearing, mm-hmm. you know, so like, what's the difference between a baby being worn by someone who is non-sedentary versus someone who is sedentary? So babies on the back of people who are foraging for food and gathering water, that is a much more dynamic state than being on the body of a person who is for the most part fairly sedentary, who has very low variance in movement. So if you're on the back of someone 
who's bending all the way over and coming back up and, you know, may jog a few steps, who's squatting up and coming down, your movement environment is much more rich. And so is your awareness because you learn to watch the environment to go, oh, we're at the lake again. Here we go. You know, and so you are busy. Mm -hmm. Awareness and your participation in your own physical support is cultivated very early on. So a lot of times we'll extract something that a particular group of people does and then put it into our culture and then go, but it it's the same. It's like, well, it's, it's actually quite different because it's not only the device, it's how it was used within a, within a context. And so just consider, you know, like, again, sedentary culture, sedentary culture is the un- umbrella over everything. So, that, so you just, the more movements that they were facilitating themselves or they were a part of a team of a movement being facilitated, of course, then the more rapidly you've developed structurally, the more robustly, mm-hmm. meaning when you do lots of things, a lot more parts of you get stronger in many more ways. So that's that's really kind of that point of the difference between carrying and wearing. Okay. And then other stuff. So like my kids would have to hold on. They weren't, they weren't just, they were in my arms as infants, mm-hmm. but very quickly, it's like, no, you have to hold on here. And we would play games. And I, I think the games are, they have the games on the video too that yeah. you watched where I would reduce their support. So like you can't, they're not going to learn to hold on until you stop holding them. Mm. So I don't suggest that you just drop your arms out underneath, but it would be this, you know, I would take one arm away. They would weigh heavier to their little fists that were grabbing onto my shirt or my hair or my shoulders or whatever. And thus their muscles would respond. So it's just, I think more so than what you need to facilitate is really your own movement with a baby attached to you, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, where, where you are gripping the baby with you because you moving more is the environment in which it is the most natural for them. And then they respond. Right. So benefits, they respond naturally. They're not both parties. Yeah. And, and I think just a way to reframe that or think about that a little bit is that if, if I were an adult, I would want to hang on to something. I wouldn't be a lump of dough. If somebody took one arm away, I would, you know, hold tighter with the other arm. And that's just like a normal human reaction. So there really should be no age limit to that. Right. You know, it's it's not something that, okay, now they're old enough to learn that. That's just, those reflexes are completely normal. Well, they're reflexes. So that just means that we come with them. Right. The question is, are they useless or not necessary? Or are they quite necessary for human development and and movement. Again, it just depends on how you're defining things like human development or whatever, but like, are they necessary perhaps to facilitate a robust development, meaning of lots of parts of lots of different types of movements, perhaps. So it's kind of hard to find real definitions for things like that. And I did a big piece on it on the stepping reflex, you know, how, how forever that was like, this is leftover. Don't let your babies walk, you know, wait until they're, I mean, there's so many Theories that went like children just aren't ready to walk, their brains aren't formed, so don't encourage really any movement, and then they will express it again later on, this desire. And then it just turned out that that reflex never stopped. They had just gotten so heavy without moving that they that their musculature to body mass was the correct ratio that it didn't allow that anyone to see that stepping reflex. So like if you hold a baby up, it's like step, step, step. As soon as it sets, as soon as it senses something underneath its foot, it immediately starts right, left, right, left, right, left walking. Mm -hmm. Did you read that piece? 
Uh, was it in a blog? I think so. Yeah. And, you know, it's walking right, left, right, left. And then it would just disappear, you know, in this laboratory setting. And then someday someone put a baby with their head above a tank of water. And when the baby was buoyant enough to not be burdened by its own strength to weight ratio, the stepping reflex had been there the entire time. Right, left, right, left, right, left. It just, if you don't, you know, babies at that point, babies didn't move at all. You were... You're just in bassinets being pushed around and movement was not on the list of things that baby need. Mm -hmm. Food, water or milk, comfort, but not movement. Interesting. I'll, I'll find and link to it. And also I, that good uh, series you did with breaking muscle was good. Mm -hmm. Baby development. So I'll put that in the thing too. Okay. I can't even remember. I can't keep up with all your books now. I can't even quote where this is from, but you, I love how you define ergonomic. Would you mind, just for the purposes of this discussion, clarify what ergonomic means and why it always isn't the best thing? Because a lot of times you'll see carriers or seats or things, you know, that say ergonomic. And I think it's important to understand just what that means. Well, ergonomics is, it was really, it's the study of body positioning the best repetitive body positioning and it comes from a a work a business background like it's it's not as separate from perhaps economics because repetitive positioning is directly related to making your living in a particular way meaning doing one single thing quite a bit specialization you know of where you spend your time so it just it came from this idea that people who were at work who were in this repetitive positioning had particular injuries or diseases. So it was the search to find like, how can I have this employee? It's an investment, essentially training of a business is an investment of an employee. So you want that employee to be showing up for work every day for their career. So you're trying to maximize the physical body for that period of time, which is fine. If you recognize what it is, because Mm -hmm. then the idea of ergonomics became like, well, what's the best positioning? What's the best repetitive positioning? And that's a question. But the other question or the the assumption then is that repetitive positioning is the only option that you have. So you're, you're already limited. You already have a sedentary perspective. Your assumption is I'm unmoving. What's the best way to be unmoving? If you always frame everything that way, you can find the answer to that question, but that answer changes every hunk of time because what we recognize really now is that it is the repetitive positioning that's the problem. Sitting was one repetitive positioning. Actually, before that, standing in factories was one repetitive positioning. Mm -hmm. Bad. Here's a, oh, you got to sit and support your way. Okay, sitting, and then now we'll go to standing desks, and then we'll go back to something else because... It just takes enough time to get that that body of data to go, here's the elements that arise from this particular repetitive positioning. So I don't find that ergonomics is really the best. For me, it's not the best portal to human function or biological function or health because it's kind of the, the slant of it is economics or working right. or implied stillness. Okay. So I'm like, well, you don't have to be still. So let's let's talk about 
some other options of not being still and see what we get from there. It's kind of like adaptation. It doesn't always mean better and ergonomics doesn't always mean better. It's just important. I like how you define it. Thanks. Yeah. You're so good at that. Oh my gosh. Back to when you talked about, you know, things they were talking about, like a baby needs, this came up in the course and it's so cool. Could you just talk very briefly about our cultural response to crying baby, you know, to a crying baby and maybe reframe that with what you've learned with your research and experience? Well, is that Molly's I, I I taught that course a long time ago. So the references are in that course, but I, I believe it was a paper from a Molly population of, of what their infant practices are intense. But it was saying that we tend to recognize, and I think what I already list them, like, you know, he's tired, she's tired, hungry. You know, like if your baby's crying, you're going to, you're going to like go to a few basic things first. Well, with this population, they recognize a lack of movement as one of the catalysts for crying. And perhaps we do too, because what do we do for comfort? Mm -hmm. You pick up a baby and you shake it, right? Like you're like, here's some movement, here's some (laughs) movement. This is relaxing. But if we could extract this idea of comfort from just movement, where where the shaking of a baby is like a vitamin that we're trying to give them after. Can we call it like rocking or something? Oh yeah, I guess baby shaking is not right. Is that too grim? Not not yes. advocating baby what is it, shaking. What is it called when you go? What is it called when you get when you're like, huh, 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 you know, you, you, bounce know, you, them, you bounce them, you rock them, you yeah. Bounce so baby them. bouncing, baby bouncing, right? Baby bouncing. So everyone's like, I got this special ball to baby bounce, and I was like, okay, but think of your baby as just like, what if your baby's just like a pedometer, right? Like you're, you're trying to turn the signal off of like, here's some movement, here's some movement, like treating it after the fact when it's like, well. What if there was a way, this is that stacking your life perspective of what if instead of having so little movement in in your total life and your baby's total life and then dealing with the struggle of someone being upset, like movement malnourished, if you will, Mm -hmm. and then trying to put it in after the fact in a stressful, reactive kind of way that it was thought of more as a nutrient and given to them before, like in the same way, it's like, okay, here's, here's their food and their movement needs. Like maybe they're, maybe that movement can happen within their life and then they don't have to cry out for it, you know, type thing. So that's what this, these interviews of these populations is movement is actually their first go-to. It's like, oh, it needs to be good. And I used to pay, you know, I was really paying attention and I have to, to many other kids after the fact is a lot of times they're fussing, like pick me up and hold it so I can take a few steps Get me to a place where I can challenge myself beyond where I currently am. So this that idea that you're not supposed to facilitate a child's physical development in any like real way where you are acting as a support, I don't know if that's really the case because your child needs you. Like that, like that is that's to say that you shouldn't give them food in their mouth. It's like, why not? Like you're a team. You are an essentially a, an appendage for the child until they are able to get their strength. So that's how I how I behaved as as an appendage. It's like, oh, you need to to move and you know go out for a walk and put the kid down. You know, I've been I've hiked with a lot of other people with little kids, and you know they're trying to walk, and the kids, oh, he's fussy, he needs a nap, and I was like, I think he wants to get down and try to walk himself. You go ahead, and I'll sit here and do the tedious, right, slow steps, and instantly, no more fussing. Wow. Doesn't need a nap. 
He's not like he's like you're he's contained. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm I'm thinking of a real specific because so I'm using the he because it was a boy. And it's just our lives are so fast. There's not time for human right. development anymore. There's not time for it to take the remove the casts off because what are you supposed to do? The cast allows it all to happen. Mm-hmm. So anyway, do you feel uplifted by this podcast? I feel good about it because I like having it's, the information it's out there. Awesome. But don't feel badly. Like I don't want anyone to feel no. It's not a, here's someone wrote me something and I was like, you know, I feel really I'm just disturbed. Like I'm upset by the information that you oh. put out. Oh. And like they weren't upset with me as much, but I mean, but it was like, I think you really need to be putting it this way. And I was like, here's the deal. Just if if there was a book of nutrients, you wouldn't want the information about certain nutrients left off just because they weren't available in the place that you live. You have to write a book on nutrients or else the big picture is missing. You can't, we can't, we can't edit information just to make everyone like feel okay. Like feeling okay, not feeling okay. Like I've gone through the discomfort of learning something. I'm like, crap, Mm. I'm going to have to change this. and I don't want to, I failed or what? Like no one's failed. This is just expanding this body of, of understanding of movement. What does it mean to be a movement-based culture what does it mean to be a sedentary culture? These are some of the components of that. So again, this is not about any particular person. I've never, you know, looked at a person and been like, "Wow, I saw I met a woman at the at the uh, Santa Barbara Zoo and there's a bunch of kids there and like there's a little girl I'm like, "I'm Katie." I'm like, "I'm Katie too." And then and then we're they're on the train with us and she was like, "I'm so embarrassed right now. Like I have a stroller or I listen to your oh, show no, 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 no. or read your blog or whatever and She's like, I know you must think so little of me. And I was like, I'll go, you're here at the zoo by yourself with your four kids. Trust me. And I, the, yeah. And for those people that it don't never know even you, crossed my mind yeah, I, It never even she, crossed my mind to think about you and your stroller. Like, here's your kids. It's awesome. Like, it's just, it's just not about, no, it's not about a judgment. It's just about having enough, having all the information so we can make the choices that work for us. Everybody does the best they can with what they have. And then you just keep going. Sure. That's just the way it works. Sure. And and for anybody, that, anybody that doesn't know Katie, I would tell you right now, she's like, so not judgmental. She stops me from being judgmental about myself and everything else. So it's not, I do. I'm like, why she, are you so judgmental? She's, she's just oh like, she, yeah, she's, she's information. That's it's just information. I'm an information junkie. But yeah. it just, and just anybody also listening that has older kids like I have and didn't know this stuff, <laughs> you know, of course I read this and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done that. But just listening to this conversation today, everything that we talked about applies to any age. Yeah, including yourself. Like you're talking about babies being movement malnourished and even being fussy. I just was interviewing for a different nature school today and one of the owners said, yeah. It's uh, we have had kids that have been diagnosed, you know, with ADD and ADHD and whatever. He said, but when they get here, they don't have it anymore, you know, because they're outside and doing it. And I was just like, wow, this, you know, this movement applies to any age. And you didn't miss the boat because the boat leaves every single day. You know, it's like every moment is an opportunity. The boat leaves. The boat leaves ten thousand. Yeah, times it does. A day. It really like, that's does. the crazy I mean, thing. You could get up. You can right get on now. whatever boat whenever you want. Exactly. There's no. Don't feel blue. Don't feel bad because it's just every second is an opportunity, and that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. That's the way. Yeah. I'm sticking to it. All right. Well, let's stop there. All right. Well. Let's have our movement break. We just turn off the show and just go. go. Well, hopefully everybody was walking right. anyway. So just go another mile and then turn around and go back home. 
All right. Thank you for listening. For more information, books, online classes, including the one we mentioned today, et cetera, you can find Katie Bowman at nutritiousmovement.com. And you can learn more about me, Danny Hammett, former baby and movement warrior at moveyourbodybetter.com. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. 